name is Nick. And I'm Damien. And you're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. Welcome back to the EQIQ podcast. My name is Nick. And I'm Damien. And we're here with our man that steers this ship right. Pablo, say what's up. Ahoy, matey. One, one day, that's not going to be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> day is not that day. Oh, man. You have to give me the right intro and then I'll just be normal. No, yeah. What do people say when they're steering a ship? Uh, clearly, yeah. it's ahoy, matey. Anyways, we are quickly approaching September. It is that time. Actually, right now we are in negotiations with two, three, with four different clients at the moment, which means that there's a lot of stuff that people are talking about, uh, a lot of stuff that we're getting asked the same questions. Uh, but one of the big gaps that we have seen, especially this sort of season uh, with the academic interviews, is the interviews. And we're definitely caught in this strange time of sometimes it being completely virtual and sometimes it being completely in person and actually sort of recently it being both. And there are definitely a few tips and tricks that we want to go over with you guys or listeners and really anyone who's going through these bigger interview processes for the larger jobs because we're definitely seeing people getting caught up with the same, I don't want to call them mistakes, but it's just how many times do you go through an interview? It's just, it's a lack of experience in these really long interview processes, just simply because we don't go through them all the time. So fortunately, you guys have us. And well, like I said, right now we're doing it four times, but I think to date we've definitely done it uh, well over a hundred, you know, probably closer to two or three. So yeah, this whole process is kind of nebulous. And I think what we want to be able to share is some some ideas, some best practice and some key strategies and kind of pull the curtains back a little bit on the whole process. And so while we want to be able to be clear that no in two interviews are the same, there are some general overall arching processes that each of these institutions, department and divisions go by. And one of the things that I want people to know is that once you get to the point where you're actually having face-to-face meetings or you're actually presenting or what we call the, uh, in the academic sphere, chalk talks. And so this is where you basically take your scientific ideas, your visions or the things that you published and are proposing to these institutions what you want to do, you basically give a traditional chalk talk is organized where you literally get up on a board and you create your experimental designs and you walk the audience through what your ideas are like. And it's kind of takes place from this old academic sphere of basically taking a chalkboard and then just kind of overall arching your ideas kind of in a teaching manner. Anyways, sometimes they evolve a little bit further from the chalk talk by basically just interviewing and talking to several different people. But at this point in stage of the game, they've already have figured your work is good enough for their institution. What people don't necessarily realize is uh, they're kind of measuring more about 
some kind of fit, cultural fit, or even what we deem the soft skills. Because if we're not keen on being able to understand how we interact with people and how we flow with people, it can become difficult because we end up wanting to try to be somebody who we're not. But The whole point of us going on interviews to a lot of different institutions is to, one, yes, get the faculty position or get the job. But it's also to actually come across colleagues and communities that we genuinely have like-minded and shared ideas and and visions for. And I think there's that part of the science, your actual publications, your grants, your awards, anything of this nature, which is very metric-driven, even down to the finances, which is yes, important. But there's also this unspoken uh, part. Do I actually like the people that I'm going to be potentially working with either five, 10 years or tenureship, right? And I think this is just one aspect of the whole, quote, interview process. We want to target primarily our academic clients, not to be confused with our industry clients, where it's not so much of of this interview, but more of like giving up pitches to uh, potential investors or people that are interested in giving us money to it, which is a whole different uh, different ballgame, which we may put towards a different episode. But for this case, we want to focus on the academic clients and stuff because it can be a little bit awkward and nervous, uh, nerve wracking. But most of us, they start from the budgetary uh, standpoint. And budgets, while it is actually keen to actually measure to say how much your science is going to cost or how much money is going to take to put that together, it's just as important to say what types of people you'll be working with to help you to put that together. And I think too many times we get so bogged down by the money aspect and the financial sense, right, Nick? Don't you believe? So just to be clear about sort of what we're talking about right now is we're not necessarily addressing how you're going to answer each question. And this is one of the things that that we get asked a lot about as consultants for our clients, what we're doing is we're preparing you with a set of tools that you can use that prepare you for the questions that you're expecting, but also the ones that you're not. And where this begins, especially for the financial metrics and really, you know, the budgets that we've put together. And when you're getting ready to almost disclose that, that number that you've been thinking about of how much you're going to need to do what it is you're going to need. And that really all revolves around the mindset that you have. And what we try and do at EDC really, really, really hard, and we (laughs) hammer this in uh, to everyone, is that you are a scientist, not a banker. And what we want to do is focus on the science. So your mindset is to explain everything you want to do get excited about what you want to do, which is easy because you're already excited about all the new things that you want to discover. Then the whole price part and the whole number, it just becomes the fuel that you need to do all these great scientific experiments and all these uncover, discover all these new things that you're going to bring to light. So really when it comes to mindset and, and that first thing, because usually the first thing that people think about when they're entering these conversations is that dollar figure, is that we don't necessarily want to talk about the dollar. We don't necessarily want to anchor ourselves into anything about price right away. And frankly, it's the last thing you're going to talk about. What we want to do is anchor everyone and build a foundation to this conversation about your science and what you're going to do. You'll get to the price later. Don't 
don't worry about it right now. And it's not a secret. Everyone can go online and figure out how much an antibody is or how much it is to buy a microscope. Even if it's a super fancy one, everyone is well aware that instruments go from, you know, $5 consumables all the way up to million, $2 million instruments, depending on what you're getting. So none of this will ever be a surprise to anyone. It's just, what are you going to do about it? And really, if we're talking about investment or we're talking about, you know, a grant or we're talking like a school or a, an institution that's going to provide you some startup funds, they want to know what you're going to do with the money. So let them know what they're investing in. And I think that's important right there, what they're investing in. And one of the things that I always try to get uh, clients to understand is that there is a return on that investment or an ROI for those that aren't familiar with some financial terminology. Uh, what I always say is the return on investment, uh, ROI equals an R01. But all of these numbers basically represent an idea, some kind of innovative idea, particularly your innovative idea. And to bring it back to the soft skills of the interview process, what we're trying to do is ensure instead of being bogged down by the, those ROIs or the numbers, the financial side of it, we want to be able to ensure that this person on the other side of the uh, negotiation aisle or the interviewing aisle is also excited about your work. And I think this is where your strength lies is how excited are you about your work? How so this is where you're most confident and finding other people that are also excited just as excited for yours. Now, I'm not going to say that like everybody's also going to be excited about their different institutions, universities, medical hospitals and stuff that will have their own particular agenda that's going to be up to it. So, for example, we've had clients that are MD-PhDs that have a great uh, new innovative way of looking at some uh, prognostic markers in cancer therapies, but they were recruited for their ability to do their clinical service and they were being paid for that. And by the way, maybe we'll uh, support your research. The department's more interested in their actual services rather than their actual research. And this part is where we say that there's a, a sort of a misalignment of your own vision versus the other institutions' visions. This is why we encourage to interview in so many different other places. We call this market assessment or market value. You want to understand what the market or other places are, are valuing your ideas, your work, and then kind of start to go for from one interview place to another interview place. But once they're interviewing you, you take you, they genuinely want things to work. But how do we not get adversarial? How do we not feel this urgency, this anxiety about the interview? There are a few key things that we can do to help us to one kind of like calm that anxiety is one, I'm always a big fan of this, take a deep breath. <laughs> but two is kind of write down exactly like what you are coming into this institutions with and an idea in and around uh, basically what we uh, deem a research statement. Uh, a lot of the academic PhDs kind of know what these, their scientific vision or research statement. It's a, basically your all your scientific aims, your ideas all on a piece of page and and then summarized into one uh, succinct uh, manner. But for those that are purely clinical, it's the same thing, but you kind of have it, an idea, but you want to basically write it all down. And this is what you're going to be having your talks and discussing all of your ideas. We want these conversations to be in and around this document, because if you have this document, it can keep clear not only your ideas that you want to do, that you're excited to do, but also you can share others that are just as equally excited for you. And again, we understand not everybody has these uh, opportunities 
and you have to apply to a different other places, maybe even networking conversations, which we definitely help our clients do is how how do you strategically like find all these places? That is, again, for another episode to talk about. But we actually work with our clients to kind of like build a strategy for being able to uh, work from one place to another. There's a whole different process and routine for that. But once you get to the part where you're actually interviewing with people, you're genuinely sensing and feeling, does this person is excited about my ideas? And once you get a feel if they are or aren't excited about your ideas, you want to know what their ideas, what is their vision? What do they want for the institution, for the department, for their career? Sometimes you'll get senior leaders or senior faculty that says, I'm just interested in building a a division or, you know what, we just have a a position here and we have some number of dollars that we want. It could be anything. But what I'm saying is to ask, ask, what's your expectation? What are you, where do you see this division or department in the next three to five years. How do I play a role in this? How does my work or my research play in a role with it? There's ways of kind of teasing that out. And that's so important because so many times we have our clients coming in thinking that they're alone in the type of science that they're presenting. And I often compare this to a poker game. Because, you know, you have your cards, you have like your budget, you have your specific games, you have all the things that you're wanting to do, the goals, the milestones, and you start playing them. But realize that the, in this case, the institution has their own game. You don't know if you're just going to be a little cog in the wheel of this large plan that they have. And maybe Mm -hmm. your science, maybe this very specific thing that you want to investigate is the, the keystone to the whole program that they're trying to put together. <laughs> now, <laughs> they're probably not going to tell you that, but the point is, is you can gauge that excitement. And when you're prepared and you're going into these discussions with the right mindset, you can start seeing the energy coming back to you and all of this and all all this, you know, quote unquote assessment uh, that you can do is what a lot of people say, you know, the interview is, yeah, they're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them. And just because this is a larger position, because it's a larger discussion or negotiation doesn't mean that you can't do that as well. So, you know, we talk a lot about mindset and I'm sure you can go back to a few different episodes and where where we discuss sort of the pillars of of where we want people to be and where we want people to to anchor themselves before they do anything in science and and that same paradigm also fits within this as well within you know preparing yourself for the interview process what I want to open this discussion up to though is some of the more tangible or maybe better, some of the more unpredictable little tips and tricks that we've come across, especially considering, you know, the last two years of things being virtual, but now the process opening up to these tandem interviews of of in-person and virtual and almost doubling up on the effort because we have clients that spend all day on Zoom and subsequently fly out and spend another day and a half on site. Yeah, that actually becomes more challenging, not only like mentally, but physically. 
And I think that when I hear clients, they go, you know, I have still projects and experiments that I'm doing and trying to fit. And I'm like, you know what? You gotta like anchor and pause your experiments and projects so you can then focus on this because you want to be able to understand that it's going to take a lot of energy to, to do this. And from the institution, the department who are interviewing you, for them, they're just meeting you for one hour. But you meet with 10, 15, 20 of them two days in a row on Zoom and in person. And then you fly out to these places. It's taxing mentally and emotionally and physically. And the number of times we've had to coach them through this whole process, because there are things that come up, things that you don't come up. So some for practical advice, we would tell them like, if, once you see the itinerary, ask if you can, I mean, if it's like back to back, ask for to see if you can have them have breaks in between. Everything like, is negotiable. Like, yeah. I need 15 minutes from here, from here. I need time for lunch. Or some, most of the time you don't have lunch You uh, by yourself. You have lunch with five other people and then they're all talking. So you don't get a chance to genuinely eat. And so we always say, Definitely make a conscious effort to take in food and eat during that time. And bring a juice bottle with you throughout the whole day so you can sip on, you, so you're getting some caloric intake because it's exhausting. And sometimes they won't let you uh, do this because their schedules are super busy, but also they want to also know how serious you are about this. And I get it. You are serious enough. And so you actually meet with them at eight in the morning and then you don't get done till, with them till like eight or 10 o'clock at night for a whole day of inter uh, interviews. But the main point about it is pace yourself, be mindful of your energy throughout the whole time, but also ask for permission for certain parts for, I need a break, can I take a, a time? Uh, they'll totally help and uh, help you out in, the, uh, in those sentiments. But again, there are so many different ways of being in it, but also it's even bad for even the Zoom meetings. Nick and I are constantly on Zoom meetings all the time. We've been doing this for several years and we're very keen on how much being in front of the screen can be taxing on us. And so when you're thinking about doing this within these interview processes, be mindful of those types of things, but also, but I know this is a lot of information, but also be mindful about what you're feeling and communicate that. They're like, do you mind if I take a break? And is it possible because uh, there are a few things I want to take care of? Most most time, they just want to get to uh, get to know you and see how well-versed you are about your work, how excited you are about your work. But you're also taken in that same respect. And please, by all means, understand you are the one that's coming in with the value. You have just as much equal power as the interviewers because it's your ideas, your innovative way of thinking that is actually bringing the product or service to the institution or your ideas that are bringing in the dollar amounts into the institution. Yes, they have to put money towards you to invest in that idea, but that idea is going to be making the institution money in not only just in dollar amounts, but even in grants and awards that pulls it into the institution. So there, the power dynamics is not just uh, one way. It kind of goes both ways. And just to culminate this whole experience, all of this helps to form your idea or it helps you to, to form an image of what the culture at this place is going to be. You know, if you're asking for a break and, you know, it, it, it's not unreasonable, <laughs> you've just done 10 different one-on-one -on -one or, you know, let's, let's say you have 10 different one-on-one -on -one conversations throughout the day, back to back, 
and you're asking for a break, you know, in the middle to to eat or you know, bio break. Uh, no, you can't use the restroom. <laughs> yeah, is that really a place you want to be at? You know, it, it's and and while you're having the discussions, you know, if you could very well find yourself in a situation where no one really finds your ideas exciting, you know, that is also an option of the things that that could or could not happen, uh, and and that just serves as more information for you. Do you want to put in the effort at an institution that doesn't quite understand what you're trying to achieve? You know, do you want to put in the effort? Do you think that what you're doing is important enough for you to not only spend the energy to do the things that you say you were going to do, but also spend the additional energy to try and convince everybody around you that what you're doing is important? Mm-hmm. And all of these, you know, we... we can call them values. We can call them, you know, I, I often uh, call them pillars. At, at the end of the day, it's just they're all cultural components of the place that you want to work at. And yes, you know, as we mentioned before, we're doing many applications to to see all the different uh, institutions that may be interested in what you're doing. Um, but with the same respect, you're also going there to see if you're going to fit in these cultures and if what you do is really going to provide value to not only yourself, but you know, to the institution that you're going to. I know there's a lot of listeners out there that would say, yeah, but we definitely get the yeah, but. Yeah, Damien, I know all of this, but this institution it would never select somebody like me. Oh, it's easier to said than done, but there's this issue. What if I, we're coming across somebody who's another candidate that's more competitive? And we get it. We completely understand this. And this is why it, we always say you have to start networking. Go out there, meet multiple different institutions, talk to... There's so many different places that have ideas may spark in it. This is why networking events are really keen and being able to come up across people that have ideas of like-minded of it and then start to build the relationship. Now, this whole interview process takes anywhere between three months to a whole year, sometimes two years process. And so it's an it's ongoing courting process. I always say courting because that's kind of what it is. We're all kind of courting in this way of trying to find the colleagues that we best fit with. Because remember, you're not just applying for a job where you're just kind of doing a day-in-day routine scientist. You're actually in, for lack of a better term, a think tank, coming up with ideas, new innovative ways of thinking about how things are. There's not many of uh, people that are doing what you do. And so you have to find others that also are excited about what you're doing. And so it's a creative process that takes some time to build from the, uh, from the publications that you produced out there to uh, the casual conversations with your peers and the people that you're going to at these networking conferences, even down to just casual conversations at the water cooler about with people. All this starts to propagate on not only your science, but what you type of scientist you are as well, what type of innovator you are. And this is starting to plant seeds of ideas within other people saying, wow, this person does really good work, but also they're a really cool person that they're genuinely excited about this work. I want to do more with them. And then they start to share that with others. And if you can still stay passionate and excited about your science and then find others, this is where it leads into the interview processes. This is where it leads into, hey, come by, uh, meet with a few people within our group. And that's, 
ideally what it should be in these interview processes. But again, we understand there's so many administrative bureaucratic formalities. But in those administrative bureaucratic formalities, it should be in enhancing the genuine excitement for your science. If it's too much on the uh, on the money side, too much on the uh, how many grants are you going to be pulling in and how much publications you're going to be doing, if it's too much on that side and it's high stress just towards the metrics, it's imbalanced. Ask yourself, is this the kind of environment I want to do my work? We've had clients turn down multi-million dollar contracts and awards because it was too much on that metric driven things. And they went to a different institution. They're like, I just am around really good people that I really enjoy the work and we come up with innovative ideas. And that's what we tried as much as possible to help clients see during the interview process. It's an example of what you're going to be experiencing for the next five to 10 years of your, of your quote, for lack of a better term, tenureship. I'd go ahead and, and challenge what you just said just just a bit because it's only an, it's only <laughs> an imbalance it's only an imbalance if you feel like it's an imbalance you know if if the environment that you want to be in is purely driven by you know papers and that is what you want to do and you feel like that is the place where you fit then the likelihood of you working well in that culture i think is probably pretty good i'm glad that you brought that up you're right that what you believe is what you need. These, If it's somewhere that you feel as though the numbers matter more to you, then this may be the place where you want. And it probably is something that you want to move towards. But again, understanding the balance is basically within yourself. So then the take home is just be yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so generic. But, you know, I'll, I'll develop on that a little bit more. Because, you know, the we're all scientists and so be yourself doesn't just mean be yourself be yourself means know who you are know what it is you want know your values know the culture that that you fit in right figure that out before you show up and then use those as data points that is the data on which you're going to be comparing all the different places you go to and at the end of the day you're just looking for the one that you fit with the most and then you know, at the end of that day, it's really who's going to give you an offer. But, uh, you know, the whole process is just being yourself. And in our field, using that information is what we mean by just be yourself. And this is where we understand that there's a, uh, a nebulous, abstract idea in and around this concept of being oneself. This is why we work with our clients to kind of coach them and train them to be able to articulate that and communicate that to a myriad of different people to understand who is oneself as far as their science goes. And it's a process that can be learned and taught and coached through. It's not easy, but it it can be done. And we say that this interview process that you're going to go through is kind of what you're going to be going through as an independent investigator for the rest of your career. So from here on out, practicing this is a good indicator of your success metrics as far as being able to work with a myriad of different types of other people that are just as independent as as you plan to be. So if you're interested in going through the process that we've described through this episode, or you're having trouble figuring out how to be yourself before going into these interviews, feel free to reach out to either Damien or myself or anyone on our team at our website, www 
www.experimental-designs.com. You'll find all our contact information there. Otherwise, we're on all the socials. Pablo has been doing a lot of extra work these days to uh, really beef up our social media presence. So if you could please go out and uh, especially follow us on Instagram at the EQIQ underscore podcast. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us once again. My name is Nick. And I'm Damien. This has been the EQIQ podcast. This was a Raul Maria production. It's going to be interesting to mix. <laughs> yeah. Like salad.